if I wasn't going to put it at the ending, you know where I would have put her unlocking airbending? At the beginning? <laughs> no. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name is Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. We've been going through the series two episodes at a time, and today's episode of our podcast brings us to episode 11, Skeletons in the Closet. I like the title of the episode. It's just like it's it's such a nice, like a gimmicky start. It sounds like it's going to be like the name of a vaudeville play or something like that. <laughs> right yeah it's like a a dark fantasy like it kind of fits with like the sort of the 1920s camp it's just like hey mm. ladies and gentlemen it's like fake thunder in the background skeletons in the closet <laughs> exactly <laughs> it is uh, written by michael dante di martino and brian Kanetsko. it's directed by joaquin dos santos and ki hyun ryu animated by studio mir and the episode aired june 23rd 2012. the imdb rating of skeletons in the closet is a very impressive 8.9 out of 10. take us away with some mm. fun facts all right so for our first fun fact dante bosco voices general iroh bosco voiced prince zuko general iroh's grandfather in the first avatar series we already kind of mentioned that when he showed up last week but like i just need to reiterate but, that our boy is back yeah with zuko back like the show immediately becomes better i don't care what like what form dante bosco is in just having his voice in the series makes it better right um our second fun fact and i love this one the before theme that plays throughout Tarlock's flashbacks and narration is a duet comprised of a cello and an iru. I'm sorry if I said that wrong. Each instrument represents a character with the darker melancholy sounding cello representing Noatok or Amon and the lighter, more expressive iru representing Tarlock. Now, I don't know if you even noticed the music in the flashback, but it is one of my favorite pieces in all of Legend of Korra. It is so gorgeous, so haunting. And like they actually used it for the season two um, trailer because it was such a good piece of music that they used it really? for the trailer. Yeah, um, I would highly recommend going back and listening to it. It is haunting and beautiful and it perfectly captures like this tragic story of these two brothers. Like we'll get more into it, obviously, but mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I love the before theme. Um, and then our third and final fun fact is the depiction of animal cruelty when Noah Talk and Tarlock test their blood bending on animals was something that the creators did not want to depict in a superfluous or glorifying or glorifying manner. They tried to balance it out by showing Tarlock's empathy for the animals and the disgust and regret he feels after being blood bent by his brother for the first time. So yeah. I think honestly, like it's still shocking to see like yeah. especially coming from a show where like our main protagonist is an animal lover, like going from that mm -hmm. to like, pretty much animal abuse <laughs> but it, i think it's like necessary to show just how fucked up these kids are and like yeah. how fucked up their dad is for making them do that like <laughs> it really is messed up but yeah no they definitely didn't do it in any way that made it seem cool or like even edgy cool like it was just bad mm -hmm. it was just sad so right. yeah they they really did like show the horrifying power they were using and balanced it really, really well with his disgust and regret. Like they, they definitely mm -hmm. did that because I, I was shocked seeing it 
but yeah, I definitely was not like, ooh, look at the power they have. I was like, it's, it's, it's just sad, man. Right. So that is it for our fun facts. Not too much. But uh, what did you think of this episode, Skeletons in the Closet? <laughs> I just want to say the phrase Skeletons in the Closet so much. <laughs> I just love, I just love the name. It's great. Well, uh, well, I thought that Skeletons in the Closet. Um <laughs> Uh, it, it it took a very um, I think I'm sure for anybody watching the series it took a very uh, surprising turn because of course mm. you know there's the whole destruction of the fleet which is one whole half of the episode but then it flips mm. half of the way through and we get this backstory on Noah Tak and Tarlock so the episode has like a ton of just narrative whiplash Mm-hmm. but i like it <laughs> oh yeah no, it's, it's so good <laughs> it is very very good so, so first of all first things first first things first it, it, in in very concentrated defiance of our usual tendency to tackle the last part of the episode first just because we've like it's the freshest in our minds and it's the hardest hitting um mm-hmm. like let's go back to the the, the beginning battle I I I reiterate that like I swear these benders in Legend of Korra, including Korra herself, <laughs> they just forget all the stuff they can do, like constantly. <laughs> I love how Korra's just like swimming through the water. I'm like, you can water bend. You could you can Aquaman through the water like a torpedo. What are you doing? Why are you swimming right. like that? <laughs> <laughs> she needs the exercise. <laughs> And then, like, she finally does do, and she, like, pops out in the water spout, which is awesome, and she uses, like, the, the like, a, like, an ice shear to, like, mm-hmm. s- slice the wing in half. Of course, you got General Iroh, they were just going to town on them with his, his fireballs every which way. That was great. The man, the man's right. a true hero in his grandfather's <laughs> image. Right. Well, to be fair, like, yeah, I, I agree, and that's something that I noticed. I was like, Korra, like, she jumps into the battle and you're thinking, oh, this is going to be so cool. She's going to, like, you know, take out so many ships, or not ships, but, like, the planes and all that. And she does take out a couple. But, like, most of the time she's just kind of swimming around, like, looking scared, like, what's happening? And I'm like, Korra, do something. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, so I want to make a statement real quick about that. You know, we were clarifying way at the beginning of the series here, of, of the season, at the start of Legend of Korra, that she's not a Mary Sue. And we were defending it really hard. I really don't feel like we have to defend it that hard. She's really not I know. overpowered in the slightest. That's why I'm like, I don't know where this Mary Sue argument came from. Like, she's, to me, she's the anti-Mary Sue. <laughs> like, like, pretty much everything about her is the opposite of what categorizes a character as a Mary Sue. Um and yeah i mean i love that about her i love that she is so flawed and like she doesn't always have the answers and she doesn't always do the right thing like that's what makes her great to me um Mm -hmm. and so yeah i the fact that people were like that was a legitimate i guess criticism of the show is ridiculous to me (laughs) like utterly ridiculous yeah but i will say just just real quick since we're on the battle um and there is a moment where she does something one of my favorite just like clever displays of bending um in the first season for her at least and that is she's under the water 
and a torpedo gets shot at her and she basically redirects it using waterbending, which is exactly what waterbending is, redirection. And she sends it flying into the air and it crashes into a plane and knocks it out of the sky. I'm like, that was so cool. More of that, please. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Now, if they were really, really, really thinking outside the box, they'd be using the whole like bending thing to bend the oil inside the engine of the planes <laughs> to screw up the engines. They would they would stop the fuel intake. Like, man, the stuff we could do. Man. <laughs> yeah, I think you're thinking of like the ink bending that Katara does. Like <laughs> I am. Mm -hmm. I was about yep. to say, yeah, that's you wrote you're so impressed by that. I was like, yeah, it's very clever. Of course, <laughs> I know, those, take notes. those kids were so OP. She should have tried why is she trained with Tenzin? She should have trained with Katara. Because <laughs> Katara's not a, well, she did for her water bending. Like that that was who her master was well, for water Apparently bending, she skipped a couple lessons when she skipped blood bending. <laughs> she just skipped over everything else. She's like, just stick to good old H2O. Like, forget everything else. We'll cover that <laughs> <Okay>. later. <laughs> That's later in the syllabus. No, she should have had. She should have got some training from the swamp benders. Please no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't. Need what if in the middle? What in the middle of the battle when things were looking their darkest? What if the swamp benders just came rolling up, just like banjos playing, and they just no. kind of like mowed around up at the fleet, and they're just like, "Where did this navy come from?" He's not a navy, sir. It's just people. Oh my god, no. <laughs> the Avatar the Last Airbender theme starts blasting as the swamp <laughs> benders come and destroy yeah. them. Oh god. Now I'm just imagining that. Please stop. <laughs> oh, we, we, we were robbed. Hashtag we were robbed. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the battle is just the battle is just like so one-sided like they tear down a lot of airplanes and they do their absolute best but man like they just get ripped apart it's very very tragic and at this point in the series i'm kind of counting like how many things have gone wrong for the heroes like i'm just like <laughs> i don't know if we've gotten a win for the good guys since <laughs> since like the actual pro bending tournament <laughs> right. i know we've gotten better than a we survived and surviving is yeah. half the battle like the entire <laughs> this entire season so far it's rough it's, it's a very like rough ride it's just like what suki tells the gang wow you guys lose a lot <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it's kind of like that yeah so general iroh and his fleet get annihilated basically very pearl harbor-esque with the bombing of the ships and everything mm -hmm. um and general iroh gets injured sakura has to get him out and she takes him to the vagabonds that live under republic city and this is the return of a character that we saw all the way in the very first episode um the hobo vagabond and um you know, they kind of make a point that like they don't agree with Amon or the Equalist because they have vendors and non-vendors living harmoniously under the city and they've never had a problem. So like Because they have no message. money. See? Money is bad. <laughs> money. It's 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 it, we've talked about this already. It's the goal, it's it's the the moral <laughs> of the story in Legend of Korra. Money is bad. Anti-capitalist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Money in general is bad. Cora herself had no money coming to Republic City. <laughs> See, um, the, and the most virtuous people are the poorest people. Right. There is something. There's something that all the money in the world cannot buy, Ms. Millwood, and that is <laughs> what is that? Poverty. Oh my God, Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's true. <laughs> it is. It is. Don't, don't think about it too hard, kids. Your head will explode. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah, somehow Mako and Cora apprehend some chi blocker or some equalist outfits. Yeah, that was very convenient. Yeah, well, I wish we'd seen that. Like they took hostage, like two chi blockers. I mean, they were. Co- I mean, we're very slowly beating up bad guys better and better as the series goes on. I think I addressed this last episode that Aman must just not let his men sleep. Like they haven't slept in like weeks now. <laughs> right. Like they're just getting tired, man. They're <laughs> they're running on coffee and adrenaline at this point. Right. He refuses to let them sleep. Um, <laughs> sleep bending. Right. Um, so while doing some reconnaissance, they they go back to the Air Temple Island to wait for Amon to ambush him, and oh, they come across. But let's not forget oh. that in the meantime, the Asami, oh, it's like <laughs> Asami, just like I love how Baka was just like, "I'm sorry, our relationship got so messed up," or whatever he says, and I love that he didn't blame himself or like say he was sorry because mm-hmm. Asami is like self-destructing her relationship with Mako like for the last two episodes. She doesn't want to be with him but she can't tell him. <laughs> she just <loves> <laughs> she's literally gaslighting him. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the worst. I'm so yeah. glad that like the relationship's angst like comes to an end like here. Like this just this is it. That's <laughs> just it for oh, now, anyway. Oh, for this honey. season, <laughs> sweet summer child. <laughs> okay, but at least we get like one episode off after this. We get a different. We get right. family trauma instead of bad relationships. Like right. it's I'll trade one for the other any day. Exactly any day. <laughs> um. Oh, so Lord. yeah, uh, Mako and Cora come across Councilman Tarlock that's being held in a prison on air temple island like okay <laughs> i always thought that, that was kind of funny i mean sure <laughs> like i guess i i never imagined that airbenders or air monks would have prisons but okay um and uh yeah i, I guess t- <laughs> it tends to just to keep his kids under control somehow <laughs> right, i'll send you to the dungeon <laughs> <laughs> or i could totally see that being like a game like them pretending to you know put each other in prison and like escape or whatever because they're crafting one of them is just curled up in the corner and they're like look i'm uncle iroh i'm sad when everyone's looking but when no one else is looking they start doing push-ups and they start doing (laughs) sit-ups they just just act out they just act out like season three of avatar (laughs) the last airbender in that room it's like a playroom um and yeah and that's when we get basically the second half of the episode which is definitely the best part of the whole episode um Mm -hmm. with the reveal well not really the reveal but just like the backstory given to not only tarlock but to Amon, also known as noah talk um 
So let's dive into this because this is my this is yeah. one of my favorite parts of the whole season. Like this this one like yeah. five. I mean, sequel. and I got to tell you, it, it really is a high point of the whole season because the narrative, as we pointed out here and there, it, it's got some little weak spots in in the overall plot, episode to episode. There's some holes. There's some holes here and there. Mm. Um, but uh, this this is this is high like drama right here like the the family oh, yeah. angst it doesn't get any better than this so you have you have um yakon and yakon goes and gets a new face and a new identity after his whole like break out of the courtroom and he goes and flees to the water tribe and he marries this girl and i gotta tell you the more that the series goes on because we talked about the whole like is is bending a spiritual thing is like a genetic thing mm -hmm. the more goes on the more taking away somebody's bending doesn't make sense <laughs> because he takes away his bending but then his kids can bend mm -hmm. and but and there's absolutely nothing now, granted, there's also nothing saying she isn't, but there's no evidence that his wife is a waterbender. In right. fact, the kids were surprised. They were surprised. Now, I feel like that alone would kind of disclaim that their mom wasn't a bender mm -hmm. because they were surprised that they could waterbend. They wouldn't be surprised if their mom was a bender. Right. So even after you take somebody's bending away, you can... De I don't know why I keep pointing to my forehead. I just keep thinking of Hamad putting his right. thumbprint on me. Like he's unlocking an Apple laptop. But like... I, 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 but like... It, so what's the point then? Like your kids can bend. It's exactly what we talked about last time. Amon is going to go take everyone's bending away and be like, bending's gone from the world. But then their kids can just bend. Okay, well, yes. But just to kind of, I guess... I don't know, counter your point about Yukon no longer having his bending and uh, Noah Talk and Tarlock's mother, apparently, like, again, it's not shown, but there's no indication that she has bending. Um, mm -hmm. Remember, Katara's parents, Hakoda and Kaya, neither of them were benders, but Katara was a bender. And Katara's mm -hmm. grandmother, as far as we know, Grand Grand, was not a bender either. So... That's the thing. It's there's no clear answer. Well, okay. So so it so but but that like kind of okay, it may disprove that it's genetic, <laughs> but it also may still doesn't make the taking away people's bending make it not make sense well, because okay. it's spontaneous. <laughs> it's still spontaneous. You can't cut it off by getting rid of all the benders. Well, it, and you, we'll talk more about because they again, this is one of the things that they just like they explain it, but they don't explain it. Um for a oh yeah uh, yeah i know i know i know i know we're gonna get to that so, <laughs> so we'll get yeah, to that no, later <laughs> so, yeah yeah so tarlock and noah talk are basically used as tools of revenge by their father that he's basically like i can't use blood banding to avenge myself on the avatar but i'll force my two kids to use blood bending to avenge me and i gotta tell you right off the bat I'm not condoning like like brainwashing your children. <laughs> I hope not. But like Yacone, you could you you should have gone about this better. Like you could have told the story 
to your kids about the avatar being evil this monster mm. that has to be stopped and like you could have much conditioned earlier. them since birth <laughs> much earlier than figuring out that they could bloodbend and then like forcing them like they're circus animals to do what you want and make them hate you like yakon you're not playing the long game man like <laughs> right. you gotta go back to villain school well like, that's what you, happens you... when the guy's a psychopath he doesn't think like oh you know maybe there's i could go about this a gentler way that won't you know traumatize my kids and make them hate and resent me <laughs> see villains doesn't matter what's happened to you in your past doesn't matter if you've been traumatized by the avatar or maybe your father's just the fire lord get therapy right everybody in avatar just needs go to therapy there. go, everyone just go to therapy it's okay especially asami asami go to therapy oh <laughs> everyone God. go to therapy <laughs> yep and uh, <laughs> a lot of problems would be solved if that happened um, it really but, uh, would be so yeah, no, the, but the drama, like the drama in this thing, just the the agonizing, you know, spectacle of Yakon forcing his two kids into this, and you see that, you know, when you had talked about how much you love Tarlock as a what a three dimensional villain he is, so like peel back for me a little bit of like what you enjoy so much about him now that I know all the facets of his character from this, because you kind of haven't been able to speak freely about it this whole time because it right. wasn't revealed who he was in relation to Amon, what mm -hmm. his real motivations were, like Yeah, um, I don't know. I just think like I think him and Amon as characters are two sides of the same coin. Um, and so, you know, they both are, first of all, just very well written just in general. But I think that once we figure out the connection between the two of them and like you said, the trauma that they went through as children and why are they or how they got to where they are at this present point in the in the story. Um, it really, it all kind of comes together. Oh yeah, it's all coming together. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> I fucking love Gronk. Um, and I really, in particular, like obviously Amon, fantastic villain, one of my favorites of all time. But Tarlock mm -hmm. really doesn't get talked about nearly as much where I think he's just as compelling and just as good of an antagonist as Amon is. Because um, like I said, he's his other half. And so, you know, I love seeing this sweet, innocent young child, both both of them sweet innocent young kids and slowly how Amon gets chipped away like his humanity gets chipped away as the years go on because he's the older of the two he is the more he's the prodigy he's the more talented of the two whereas Tarlock is kind of the Zuko in this situation there's a very clear parallelism parallelism is that a word anyway yeah <laughs> um yeah parallelism to uh, Zuko and Azula how you know even though Azula is younger than Zuko she was the prodigy and the favorite child of Ozai um and Zuko was always the one that was falling behind and that weighed on him so much and it's the same with Tarlock I just love that so much um and you know seeing just how much they got put through and ultimately them separating you know when they well they basically disowned their father um and Noah Talk or Amon asks Tarlock to come with him, like run away from their life that they've been living and from this man that's been abusing them for all these years. And Tarlock being a young kid, he's like, what about our family? What about our home? What about mom? Like, and Amon just doesn't care. So he runs off and leaves Tarlock um, with this abusive father figure. And it's like terrible, but you know, they're both just kids trying to, trying to navigate 
through this this horrible yeah. situation and so um and i like that they both they have similar goals in that they want to i guess take over republic city but i think that amon's goals are more focused on like he continues to say equalizing the world no more bending because bending is the source of all evil in the world in his eyes um and with tarlock he it's very he kind of reminds me a little bit of um harvey dent in that he wanted to be this as he says the savior of republic city he wanted to be the one to take down amon before he realized who he was um and get power that way you know through cleaning up the city and becoming the white knight hero but ultimately the power corrupted him and revealed like darker all ulterior motives than just wanting to be the good guy for the city um and so yeah it's just i don't know they're such fascinating characters i i take it even a step further because i was doing a lot of thinking about this because you know psychology and and family dynamics and things like that are, are mm. things i've read up about about a lot and i've talked about it in the last season of our podcast when it came to <laughs> the good old fire lord you know <laughs> genealogies <Lord>. there <laughs> yeah yeah it's a messed up dynamic there but we but, you know but we talked about like sibling rivalries and like you know the effects of parenting methods and and you know relationships between uh children and their parents with azula and her mother and zuko and his father and mm -hmm. you know vice versa um and so tarlock is interesting for several reasons um and here's here's your therapy of like people not talking enough about this character right so we're going to peel back Tarlock for a bit. See, Tarlock is interesting because he grows up immediately with a very, very toxic parenting style. Yeah, sure. Like we could easily talk about the animal abuse and wanting to weaponize his children and the verbal abuse and blah, blah, blah. But one thing that's we're not really paying that much attention to is the comparison between him and his sibling, mm -hmm. which is a very, very damaging dynamic to set up when you you have this oh you're a failure why can't you be more like your your sibling mm -hmm. why aren't you more like your brother why don't you look at your sister and look, look at the way that she is and like when as soon as you do that you immediately set up this animosity but you also set up this idea that you are not as loved because you are not whatever way the other child is and that is unfortunately and this is the pandora's box you you open when you do that when you say that to a child the child doesn't know what it is about their sibling that you like better about them than you like them mm -hmm. is it that they make mom and dad happy and so you just need to follow the rules better or do what you're told better is this a they have a talent that i don't have is this just that they're talented at something is it that they just plainly love them more than they love me like it just it's super damaging mm -hmm. and you're playing just like you're shooting dice with how that kid's gonna internalize that for the rest of his life and so you have this man i don't even know what to call it because it's not even explored deeply enough he has this sort of like pity for his brother mm -hmm. that is like such a deep and like rare 
rare result. He's not angry at his brother for abandoning the family. He isn't resentful toward him. He's not trying to prove he's better than his brother. He's not trying to get out from under his shadow. He's not trying to bring him a notch down because he doesn't really have enough time to develop that. He doesn't have enough time to develop it. And while we won't dive into all the details of how it how it manifests in episode 12, he really see when he is reunited with him, you see that sort of like my brother's I feel bad for this guy. He needs mm-hmm. to just be stopped. And he tells, you know, Cora and Mako to stop him. But as far as the path that Tarlock took in life, it's interesting that he would grab for political power mm-hmm. because he's somebody who his entire life was controlled by somebody else. Right. And so this thirst for power, I think on a personal level, is is a two-headed monster. First of all, I think it's a way of him establishing his own agency, where he had no agency his whole life. He was forced by his father to do horrible things. Mm -hmm. And even though he wound up perpetuating the cycle of abuse and taking what he learned from his father and putting it forward again, unfortunately, in his own life, he resorted also to bloodbending and violent, destructive tendencies. But I think his thirst for power isn't necessarily malevolent. It's not so one-dimensional. I think he's trying to satisfy he has power. He can be in a position where he has say. Mm -hmm. And looking back at it, I bet that another viewing of the show of season one would be very telling to watch instances where he can't get his way because of somebody else standing up to him and to see him be frustrated because he had to live his whole life like that Mm -hmm. as a child. Um. But, you know, but so, but the second thing is, I can't help but believe that although his power may have corrupted him once he got, like, his political office, I really, really do genuinely think that at least, even if it's not a sincere, real, like, he wanted to use his power for good, I think maybe inside himself he justified that he was going to use his power for good, where Mm he in a way make make up like a, a kind of like a and i'm not my father and if i had power like he did then i would use it to make the world a better place whereas right. my father only wanted it for revenge you know um you know but that's kind of that's kind of hard to say because again it's all from his own perspective when he's sitting in that jail cell he says you know my power my father's quest for revenge like lived out through me or however he described it Mm -hmm. and i'm like and i'm like i kind of in that moment want to put my hand on his shoulder and be like but did it though (laughs) did it like did is that what you intended to do or like when core got in your way did it just kind of come back and you wound up kind of accomplishing your father's revenge like it wasn't really you weren't really trying to get the avatar you were just trying to get your get yourself in a place of power where no one could touch you yeah that's kind of how i always interpret it is that you know he to escape from this you know abusive cycle where he had no power he sees power because you know he grew to be a very powerful bender obviously um and so he was able to seize control you know became a councilman of the southern water tribe representative and used that power to instill change whether it was good or bad um, in Republic City where he lived and where his, you know, father Yakon obviously came from. Um, but I don't think it was until Cora came around that it kind of almost like this revenge quest got reawakened in him that like, oh yeah, 
this is what I was basically born for. Like, this is what I was built for was to, you know, get revenge for my terrible father. It's like I was made for this. <laughs> right. You merely adopted the dark. I was born to it. <laughs> like, <laughs> literally. And so, you merely adopted the bloodbending. I was born with it. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so... You know, and I think that what are you going to do? I'm going to sink this ship with everyone on board. <laughs> no, I just need a, I need someone to do a voice dub with Tarlock, but have it with a Bane filter. <laughs> Put an end to the sad story. It's <laughs> amazing. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, Tarlock. Yes, man. Anybody see the stuff like episode? <laughs> yes. Oh man. I'm just a UPS fan. <laughs> uh, He's gonna talk like Bane the rest of the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so overall I think that you know Tarlock and Noah Talk's story is one of the better of the like sibling dynamics, like at least in uh you know Legend of Korra. Um and uh yeah, I agree with Cora when she when he's done telling it. She says that's one of the saddest stories I've ever heard. I'm like, girl, same. <laughs> like, damn. I was like emotionally <laughs> shook when that all unfolded. I was like, oh my god. I already loved these characters, but I'm like obsessed now. Oh my god. I just want to have both. Cora's <laughs> there, just like she's like staring through the bars, and she's like, wow, that's like even sadder than the season finale of This Is Us. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even watch. But yeah, no, the the but the show like again, the show really sets up a lot of you know a lot of just like and and I, I'm build saying this building up to where the finale is gonna go, but like mm-hmm. man, it really kind of keeps keeps knocking us down like lower and lower and lower <laughs> with like sad Hello, stories and like. Yeah, we are. We're sinking pretty low. Like, we've gotten down to, like, the heroes have been beaten multiple times, and, like, they've been driven from their home, and their home's been destroyed. Some of the good guys have already lost their bending. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Metal bending mommy is still great. It's okay. We, we love you even without your bending. Um, right. You can bend metal without even using your powers. You're good. Um, mm-hmm. But so, and then, like, on top of this, we get the bad guy, and the bad guy is for some reason kept in a jail cell by a worse bad guy and even the bad guy can't even get a win the bad guy is like hi i'm in a jail cell my side is winning and even i'm sad right <laughs> everybody's just sad yeah but but the episode is incredible and like you said it tells a great story uh it's action-packed in the start um it's so well written it's very well paced mm-hmm the way that it has that action sequence and then pivots halfway through. Um, so, I mean, if, if you're all wrapped up on this one, I'm ready for a rating. Go for it. Um, gotta tell you, I really feel like between the action and the backstory, this is probably one of the better episodes of Legend Ooh. of Korra. And I, while I don't know what, like what my highest rating has been so far, I'm just going to give this one a straight nine out of 10. Like, this is very good. Very, very, very good. Some of the best Legend of Core we've gotten so far. 
I would agree with that. Um, this is definitely one of those episodes that I watch by itself in a, you know, in a vacuum because I just, I love the backstory. I really like the action at the beginning. Um, just the somber feel of the whole episode because I like being sad. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, <laughs> Hence the reason why you were like, you didn't even watch the season finale of, of, of This Is Us. And I'm like, right. yeah, and you outed yourself there. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I, the only thing really holding this episode back for me, um, from being like a straight 10 out of 10 is the stupid romance drama. Like it's very brief, but it is still there. Mm -hmm. Um, and like we were saying earlier, like the action scenes are really good, but I wish that they had gotten more creative with the use of the bending. Um, you know, I think that if it were Avatar, they would have been like, they would have come up with more exciting creative ways to take down these planes but as it is it's still really well animated and the sound design's mm -hmm. great and the animation's great so um mm -hmm. but uh that that backstory though that is the real gem of the episode that is the best part and um it's one of my favorite just like mini subplots of legend of Korra is just hearing about these two brothers and their tragic tale um but uh so overall i think that i would give this a 9.5 the 0.5 is just taken off for the stupid romance drama and um i wish that the fighting was more creative in the opening but other than that it's a it's a such a solid episode i really love it yeah yeah and you and before we move on you know uh to episode 12 you know you hit upon something that i kind of touched on at the start and since we are now at like the last episode of season one you know, I I always want to be fair in talking about the show because I know there's still much more of the show to see. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know that at the time. When they made right. season one, they didn't know that there was going to be seasons two and beyond. This was it. This was how they were doing it. So, like, mm -hmm. I can't help but provide an additional level, level of critique of going back to 20 you know 2012 and this is made 2011 maybe when it was written who knows but like right. to dial us back about a decade and remember that this was all they were going for what we see is all they were going to do originally and i kind of in general i kind of dislike it looking back the way that cora is kind of sorry all you people who think she's a mary sue that she's kind of underpowered mm-hmm the whole, I, I have to say the whole series, because this is like the only thing, again, once again, in the context, season one was supposed to be everything. What right. we're about to go over, episode 12, that was going to be it. That was going to be the end of it. That was going to be the whole story they told. I kind of, I kind of dislike that part of it. I kind of, like I said, I don't like people nerfing, like, their heroes to try to make the villains look bigger and badder like the villains were reasonably bitter bigger and badder and they employed like chi blocking ninjas all the time and yeah i get it that these guys aren't like hardened warriors or anything but neither were the kids in avatar mm -hmm. they were just really op like we talked about right. but but kind of in a way Korra has no right to not be op yeah, sure, she's been, like, there training in the dojo and everything, but, like, she's also not 12. She's, like, 19 years old or whatever she's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. She's been training specifically for this, to murder bad guys with the four elements. <laughs> and, like, she's, like, and, like, but we watch her just screw up and just, like, stare open-mouthed and wide-eyed at so many things happening so much, and it's, like, 
Do something. Start bending. Do the bending thing. Do Maybe it. Avatar. Come on. She's like freezing up. It, and I got to tell you, like in hindsight, it's kind of annoying. I'm not annoyed that she's like overly aggressive. I'm not annoyed that she's overly assertive and pushy and all these things that people would criticize her for. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, get up and do stuff. Stop talking about it and just do it. And stop crying and stop staring and gasping in horror at things. Just do it. <laughs> it's interesting. I, I I see where you're coming from. That's a completely valid for the first season, completely valid uh, critique for her character. Well, yeah. Um, I'm curious if that will change, especially once we get to season four, because that's the final season, obviously. Um, I'm curious yeah. if that critique will change at all. Um, and that's all I'll say about that. But <laughs> um, Oh, yeah. No, no. And sure, that's fine. But like I said, but in context, this mm-hmm. is all we're dealing with. They were literally going to leave her as like a helpless weeping baby for like the entire thing until we got to like, well, we'll talk about it, but basically episode 12 right. and not even all of episode 12, but really late in episode 12. Right. Uh, well, and speaking of which, said, yeah. <laughs> episode 12, we've reached the finale episode of season one. It is episode 12 end game. It is written, as always, by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitsko. It's directed by Joaquin Dos Santos and Ki Hyun Ryu, and animated beautifully, beautifully as always, by Studio Mir. Uh, the episode aired June 23rd, 2012, and the IMDb rating of Endgame is 9.2 out of 10. That Play is, me yo, hot man. That I, is a good rating. I know. I was actually shocked because I've been telling you, like, this is a very divisive ending. And I was, like, really shocked that it has, if not the highest episode, uh, I, it may not be the highest, but it's, like, one of the higher episode ratings for the first it's, season. It's a nine point something. It's very high. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, but we'll we'll discuss our own ratings later. So, our first fun fact. Yeah, take it away with some fun facts. <laughs> Um, <laughs> our first fun fact is that Endgame is a reference to chess. The Endgame in chess is the final few moves in which each side only has a few pieces remaining. This concept is demonstrated when only Korra and Mako are left to oppose Amon. Have you? Do you play chess? I don't even know if I've ever asked you that. I play a lot of chess. Of course you do, because you're like fucking smart as hell. I, I, <laughs> I have my own chess boards. I have a travel chess board with magnetic pieces. I love chess. <laughs> Such a you nerd. know what? You know why? Ch- you know why chess is the gr- hold on a second. You know why chess is the greatest? Wait, hold on. Full stop hold for a second. Up, chess up. is the gr- <laughs> chess is the greatest board game ever made, and here is why it is because chess is pure skill versus skill there's no rolls of a dice there's no random card shuffled there's no (laughs) luck there's no randomness every piece on the board is moved your choice how you choose to move them Mm -hmm. so anything that happens to you it's purely how good is your strategy and foresight versus how good is your opponent's strategy and foresight it is pure competition undiluted by randomness i love it (laughs) that's that's very true and that is why i suck at chess and don't understand it at all (laughs) i am not a chess person i like checkers checkers is fun (laughs) it's like chess for babies (laughs) checkers is more of a southern thing though so you know coming from texas we had a lot of checkers we have like a little cloth napkin that we would do 
It's really fun. And this is and this is the duel. This is the difference between the two of us. Like I, I your sister, we were talking and she was like, Wow, you guys are like the same person. And I was like, No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. He was a chess player. She was a checkers player. Can I make it <laughs> any more obvious? <laughs> yes. Oh man. Um, wow, we got really off topic. Okay. <laughs> so anyway. Um, yeah, end game. Um, our second fun fact is that during book one's development, Cora was originally going to unlock her airbending in the episode When Extremes Meet and use it for the rest of the season onward. The creators instead decided to have Cora overcome the block in her darkest moment after losing her bending and seeing Mako in peril. I'm mixed on this. Because on the one okay, hand... Okay, remind me. When Extremes Meet, was it going to be... Which episode was that? Was that when she confronts him in the uh, on the island and they fight? Oh no no no! That uh, when she confronts Tarlock in his office, and that's when he's revealed to be a bloodbender. Oh right 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 right! Yes I, yes. I don't see how that would have worked though, story wise. Like you no. know where I if if I wasn't gonna put it at the ending, you know where I would have put her unlocking airbending. At the beginning. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh i would have put it in um out of the past which is the episode where she's getting all the flashbacks to yakone and ang and everybody and when when she escapes you know she has that awesome just very brief uh fight scene with the equalist when she's escaping from this box and she confronts a bond that would have been the perfect moment to have her like in a in a total like i'm terrified i don't know what i'm doing i'm just trying to get away um an evasive move just like an airbender when she's just trying to escape and that would be when she would have unlocked airbending um and you know since she's been having these flashbacks and these kind of spiritual bondings with ang like it would have made sense at that point and then she could like you know maybe use some airbending but she can't control it so she like knocks herself out and the rest of the episode would happen as it does you know she gets found in the middle of the woods knocked out and 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 may I jump in with this that if they had done it back in that episode, it would have been the perfect opportunity in this episode for when her bending is all taken away, nothing, no mm-hmm. surprise air bending or anything, that instead of unlocking air bending, she could have used the Avatar state. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which so. we'll get to. <laughs> we'll get to. <laughs> um but but yeah so i do find that very interesting because again i just i don't see in that particular episode when extremes meet where that would have happened or how that would have happened um but our third and final fun fact is that this is the second episode from season one with the other being out of the past that contains ang's theme the original or from the original series it's heard as cora enters the avatar state for the first time and I mean, Aang's theme is just the most iconic piece of Avatar music ever. It's the Avatar state theme, oh, yeah. it's Aang's theme. Like, it is like quintessential Avatar music. I love it. Every time I hear it, it just sends full body chills. Like, I just had to put that in because it's like, ah, mm-hmm. love the music in these freaking shows. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, any more fun facts, or is that the last one? No, that was the last one. Uh, and that's where the fun ends. <laughs> this is where the fun ends. <laughs> We're in the end so, game now. We are in the end game now. This this is where the fun ends. Um, 
Yeah, so um, just jumping in, just as a fair warning, and I told you this before we started the podcast today, uh, I am very, very, you said how this is a very divisive ending. Well, good, because I feel very, very divided about it. <laughs> right. There are some big things about it that I'll d be sure I praise, but like I really am going to be stepping back and forth on both sides of the fence between mm -hmm. praising the show and being like, facepalm. Right. You missed. Yeah. How could you miss? It was three so, feet in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> it really is like that. Um, I yeah, so like just to start off, I I don't know how they whiffed the ending like this. Like they you, it was. It was right in front of them. It, it was right in front of their faces and it was all set. And like I don't know how they whiffed it. I like this because the episode it has some great stuff in it but like let me just jump right in here okay now i get that this is this is just cora and this is not my biggest gripe with the episode i just think it's funny mm -hmm. i think it's funny how cora our sweet summer child is like i've been armed with this incredibly incriminating evidence this story of of Amon's true origin that could topple the entire anti-bending revolution's faith in him <laughs> how shall i expose him i know i'll just burst in in the middle of his public appearance and just <laughs> verbally accuse him of this with literally no evidence and no leverage to make him show it right no plan just we'll just go in and scream to everybody that he's lying and just say what we do. we'll just read from the last episode's plot synopsis aloud for the crowd and see what they think just like twitter <laughs> just like twitter <laughs> she just bursts in and she's just like we found a, we found a mon's old tweets from 15 years ago guys turns out he's you're a canceled <laughs> we've canceled him he's a bloodbender we don't have to prove it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and i kind of love they, no not a great plan and then he like pulls off his mask and he's like no look i'm terribly disfigured phantom of the opera the music theme plays really loudly i have expected when he pulled off the mask to there to be just like lightning crashing behind him <laughs> for extra right. dramatic effect the chandelier drops on the audience. <laughs> and then, and then Cora's there like, oh no. What are we going to do? He's foiled. My, my brilliant scheme to expose <laughs> him has been effortlessly shot down. How could right. this happen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it makes sense because again, she's a teenager like, that what else was she gonna do like but it is kind of funny being like yeah that really you didn't have a plan b in case he had like a rebuttal or like if he was able to completely you know just wave aside your accusation and the crowd would believe him like what i could just i could i could just hear in the the back of my mind like the ghost of Sokka just like face palming really <laughs> right. hard and be like that was your plan just like <laughs> right. oh man uh, yeah. she did not inherit Uncle Sokka's uh... he's the idea guy <laughs> right no we need a plan person in the group bad <laughs> <laughs> right oh, I man. just have a note here that says 
all the heroes are so darn stupid. <laughs> so darn stupid. They are. Like, okay. Like, not even criticizing the show in, like, specifically for a second. But, like, I mentioned that the heroes keep, like, getting dished out, like, losses. They keep losing a lot. But mm-hmm. they kind of don't lose because they're overpowered and they don't lose because their well-conceived plans get outsmarted because they're like come on it's always a step ahead of us i'm like well you guys don't actually have plans there's no actual plans involved the avatar is like the weakest bender instead of the strongest bender on the show like everything is just kind of set against the heroes for them to be really inept and for like bad stuff to keep happening to them and then just constantly be outsmarted by the bad guy Mm -hmm. but like it's it it, it, you could say it's not for lack of trying but it almost is for lack of trying like i was waiting for some aha moments where they got better and smarter at stuff and the only person who gets better and smarter is my boy mako (laughs) oh goodness and I'll touch on that later yeah. too. <laughs> but like, I, I the villains have these like really contrived ways of just like randomly outwitting us. And I think the show—I swear to you—the show had to be making fun of itself. The part where um, uh, General Iroh is has has been freed, and he's he's flying the plane around to stop them all, mm-hmm. and he's <laughs> shooting them down, and he's being all awesome. <laughs> I'd love to be inside the Sato Industries boardroom. We right now are the only designers of aircraft in the entire world. Mm-hmm. What are you going to use this against again? Well, I don't know. But you never know. It's best to be prepared in case you need to shoot a bola randomly out the back of your plane to right. tie up the propeller of the plane behind you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think sure. Dylan said it best. Um, how does Hiroshi have time to make all these new evil weaponry? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm crying. <laughs> I love that you like focus on the funniest, like most minute details like that, like the platinum, and now this. It's like what? <laughs> oh, there's. I mean, there's the big ones come later, but I'm getting my kicks out now because when that happened, I just stopped and paused the episode and went, "What? Who thought of that?" <laughs> Oh, so goodness. yeah so he's off okay. being the hero to to do <laughs> that reminds me when they walk onto the base and they're like huh a fence pose without a fence zap and they're just <laughs> right can, can we get a break can the good guy can the good guys get a break from the overwhelming triple digit iq of the enemy nope <laughs> they think of everything they do <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm just monologuing at this point. I need to pace myself. <laughs> You're good. You talk a little bit about what happens in this episode. Okay. Um, the <sighs> episode is kind of split up into the A story and the B story, um, with the A story being, um, you know, Korra and Mako trying to infiltrate Amon's rally and expose him as being a waterbender, which he is. And then you've got your B story with the side, not side characters, but the secondary characters um, with, you know, uh, Bolin, Asami and General Iroh as they're trying to stop the um, Equalist fleet, not fleet, but uh, air fleet from leaving the base that it's on. And so um, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of to me, it's like I get 
that they were trying to make it to where everybody had something to do, you know, in the finale. But you got your really interesting, intriguing A story with Mako and Korra exposing Amon. And then you got just like background B story, where which is way less interesting and doesn't really... Aside from Asami and her dad's, um, you know, fight. It didn't which, have to happen. Yeah, it's just like, okay, was this actually really a threat that we needed to address? Or could we not have had everybody helping out to expose Amon? Like, <laughs> what? Um, so honestly, I think that Asami could have gone by herself to take out her father. Because that was really the only emotional, like, key point that we had in that whole B port or uh, mm-hmm. B part. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so and it's also I mean, kind of sloppy storytelling, on my opinion, to have our heroes are captured, and I'm like, for the eleventh time in the series, okay, right. sure, they're caught again, just captured again, eh, boys? Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't even tell you how many times they've been put. Like, like I wish I wanted like a like a drinking game of how many times are the main characters, even one main character in Korra, is caught and put in a cell. Mm-hmm. like it has to be like 10 times i swear to you <laughs> yeah there, there's a lot of jail time served in much of the course season one fucking hooligans <laughs> yes rebellious teenagers in jail all the time getting yeah, bailed out by uncle tenzin <laughs> yeah literally yeah that's basically yeah no the whole be- <laughs> yeah the B the B plot is really it really is kind of superfluous too because like they they get caught and then they break out with the help of the polar bear dog mm-hmm. and then they it's all just a giant like was this trip necessary to as you said they could have Asami could have showed up sabotaged tried sabotaging the planes by stealing a mech and then get confronted by her father mm-hmm. and have that be the all of the B plot and have all the other good guys stay together or maybe general iroh go with her and steal a plane to go stop the ones that already took off while she wrecks the others but like bolin right. didn't need to be there like really he could have been there with his brother and have like team avatar actually be together right yeah i think that would have been a smarter move is to break up you know asami and general iroh which kind of like i don't I never really thought about it, but I'm like, that actually would be a good ship. Um, That's a pretty good but, ship. Yeah. I just yeah. thought of this. I just thought about it too. <laughs> like they would look so good together. Um, but anyway, you could have, what would her... we call that? Uh, Irony? Irony. <laughs> no. Um, it's very Asamo. ironic. Asamo. Asamo? No. <laughs> Not <good>. Anyway. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so you could have Asami go after her father, uh, General Iroh go after the ships. Uh, not ships, I keep saying ships, the planes. And then you could have mm. the main core team avatar, Mako, Bolan, and Korra go after Amon. Because um, that gives Bo- that gives Mako one more person to worry about, you know, because obviously mm. they're the two people that matter the most to him in the world right now. And so, yeah, um, yeah I don't see why they didn't do that. But anyway, um, but so we get, there's a big reveal at this rally that Amon is holding that and this actually shocked me when i first saw this like i was i, I gasped i was like <gasps> when it's revealed that tenzin and the kids you know iki Janora and Mio, have all been captured and that amon plans to take their bending away which would mean that there are no more benders in the world or no more airbenders in the world mm-hmm. i should say um 
and I was like, oh my god, not the kids, no. <laughs> like, um, yeah, no, because it would mean that there's like no more the airbenders, like at all. Yeah, and it would be very not good for the airbending nation. Um, so, yeah, so Amon plans to make a demonstration of them, and obviously Korra and Mako show up and, you know, accuse him of being a waterbender, which nobody believes, and then he takes off his mask and all, you know, grotesque underneath because a firebender struck down my family liar <laughs> that's the um, second saddest story we've heard today i know right i feel like ella woods just throw my chocolates at the screen liar <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but uh yeah and so you know nobody believes them and he tries to go through with taking the kids and tenzin's bending anyway and that's when you know mako and cora like basically dive in head first into a battle with him. Um, and it's really cool. We get to see Tenzin kicking ass, which is always fun. Um, and so Tenzin and the kids, they get away, thankfully. And Amon goes after Mako and Korra. And this is, this is so like Star Wars. Like it's such the force. It's the force. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> um, the whole blood bending. It's very telekinesis force. Like, and, uh, it's very Darth Vader because, yes. like, he just kind of grabs them when he quarters them. He just kind of grabs them with like an outstretched hand. Don't make and, me and, destroy like, you. <laughs> yes, all he has to do is ask Cora to join him, and like, it, it would have been complete. But um, yes. yeah, so then he 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 quarters them, and he's got both Cora and Mako in the room, and he takes away her bending. He just thumbed to the old forehead, bam, like three elements completely gone, like right then and there. Like all of her bending is gone right then and there. Um, and mm -hmm. then uh, his lieutenant walks in. And while that was kind of impactful because it provided like a distraction, I, I admit I was kind of waiting for a little more like, okay, what are the consequences of this? But, like, there weren't any consequences. He just murdered his lieutenant and gave them a chance to, like, get him while Brutal. he was distracted. Yeah. Right. Yeah, basically. But, like, okay, so, like, my man Maka with the lightning. <laughs> right. Like, he really pulled it out. Like, there, there's... There, I've been yelling the entire season that I'm like, this guy can shoot lightning. Why is he not mm. doing it, man? The time's when it counts. Mako, right. come on! Here it is. <laughs> yeah, and he finally did it again. My my boy Mako with the win. Okay, and 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 once again, and I say this, and I try to say it's not in like a a criticizing, jokey way at the show, but like, why? Like, like if they have an opportunity with a, with a female lead to not make her damsel in distress, mm -hmm. and they keep leaving her as damsel in distress, and right. it. It, un it undermines her agency as the main character of the show where everything she does is a like 75% of what she does is a bad idea. Mm. And she's like proven, like I almost, like I said, it kind of is a reverse Mary Sue where instead of it, can she do no wrong? I'm a little bit annoyed where I'm like, can, can she do something right? <laughs> right. Like she's been, she's been right like twice in the entire series so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's again, that's a fair criticism. I do think that um, that as the seasons go along, she does, and I think that that's all just part of her journey as a character. Like, oh, I can, 
Yeah. yeah, I can understand that it's like frustrating thinking of it as like this would have been all that we saw of her. It would have been it. But, but I'm glad that they continued obviously yes. with the show and, and that we got too. to see her grow and at and get more agency as the seasons went along and you know grow in her in her bending and in her spirituality and just in, as a character in general. Um, which is why by season four she's like she is my favorite character um right up there with Amon yeah. oh, in yeah. the entire show. It's so. just season season one, it's like team Avatar at hundred percent power. There's all of them and then there's like her <laughs> Cora cut out of the picture it's like team avatar at 99% power <laughs> right yeah it's like um... come on give her more to do give her more to do she can she can bend three elements all at once like she was in her prime during the pro bending circuit mm-hmm. yeah um but with that being said it is cool to see Mako finally get a moment to like really shine and be the hero um after so right. much drama and all that like and i've been saying he's a really powerful bender and amon even says so that like no one no other bender has yeah. gotten the better of him up until now with mako and it's mm-hmm. almost a shame to take the bending of someone so talented almost right <laughs> so petty <laughs> yeah. um but uh yeah so it's it is cool to see that um and then you know amon does he ch- he does try to take mako's bending and that is what triggers um finally Korra's airbending because all the other elements at this point are gone for her like he Amon stripped them away but now I think that was really cool I thought that was super cool that they had like a um what am I looking for so like a loophole Mm -hmm. a loophole in the whole thing that he was taking away their bending but since she hadn't learned airbending he only took away the three elements that she had already learned and it was like Mm -hmm. this big aha moment I was like I felt like Thor in a Ragnarok. I was like, yes! <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And then he uh, gets hit with her first air punch. I was like, yeah, that's how it feels! <laughs> right. I'm just a big fan. <laughs> now this is pro-bending. <laughs> no, God, please. Um, yeah, no. And I'll, we'll talk a little bit more about it. Well, should we talk about it now? How... Amon takes away the air, or not airbending, but we might as well because I don't get it. So (laughs) because because they please enlighten me if it's something I missed. Again, they explain it, but they don't explain it. They say that Amon takes away bending using blood bending. Okay, how does that work? (laughs) Like, um, and so the way that the creators. This is something that you have to like really search for. This is like an interview that they did way back when the show first came out. Um, Cause people were curious. They're like, so how does that work? And they had to explain it. Um, that blood bending is the way that uh, the person, you know, Amon uses blood bending to take away bending. I'm keeping an open mind. Yes. Yes. Is that bending comes from chi right like that's that was established all throughout avatar and in legend of korra that you know your when your chi flows that is what gives you your bending um and when you get chi blocked your bending stops right so mm-hmm. that again i i try i'm trying to make this sound like as cohesive as possible but it's really hard so somehow Tarlock or not Tarlock, uh, Amon is able to manipulate the chi pathways using blood bending and basically block them permanently from flowing. That way, the person, whoever they are, cannot use their bending. So it is a really convoluted, really stretching way of saying that. But 
So he gives you cardiovascular disease. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. <laughs> um, but, okay, so like I can buy it. I can buy it because they've they've sold um, that he was taught it as a psychic uh, mm-hmm. attack during his training, is what he said. Because he doesn't use his hands like right. the witch used to do, and that's kind of like what Tarlock has to do. He has to sort of like puppet show it with his hands, like right. he has to move. But like you know, then there's there's. Um, Aman. Sorry, I forgot his name for a second. Because I wanted to call him by his actual name, and right. I was trying to remember his actual name, but I'm like, forget yeah. it. Aman. Yeah. But then there's Aman, and Aman is there being taught wandless magic, you know, where mm-hmm. he can do the bending with his mind. Okay, Sparky, Sparky, Boom, man. Like, we're doing, we're doing some psychic bending here. Cool, cool, like, kind of retro, retrospective mm. explanation of Sparky, Sparky, Boom, man, by the way. Um, but like he's doing it with his mind, and so okay, I can I can buy it. Should like lots of things that are like this should have been explained in in the show. Yes. Come on, they had time; they could have explained it. Mm-hmm. Of having him press his thumb to their forehead, and what he's doing is he is psychically accessing their chi through blood bending and you altering their blow their blood the flow of their blood whatever they want to say be as vague as they want to be mm-hmm. to chi block them from within instead right. of without would have made sense i just explained it in one sentence he used his psychic abilities to blood bend which blocks their chi from inside instead of the outside <laughs> yeah it's i think that yeah it I don't know like it it makes sense if you really have like you really have to think about it you're like okay I guess <laughs> like it's it's one of those things where I don't uh, it's one of those things that I'm willing to overlook it like it's a cool power he has I don't need to think about it too hard um just like with the yep. blood bending dirt without the full moon like I just just it's part of the story don't think about it because otherwise you're just gonna hurt yourself um <laughs> but uh <laughs> yeah so I do wish that they, like maybe when Korra, kind of skipping ahead towards the end, real quick, when or uh, sorry, when Katara tries to heal Korra, and then says, you know, her connection to the elements have been severed. There's nothing I can do. She still has her airbending, but there's yeah, there's nothing I can do. I wish that they had maybe done an explanation, like how is this possible? Like, you know, or maybe even earlier when you know she first witnessed Maman taking bending, or you know when they started to figure out how he was doing it. I don't know, like. It just it needed to be explained and for for it to make more sense, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, so <laughs> but that's not even the biggest thing um, that you're questioning in so, this. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So like so so to get through the rest of the finale, so Cora gets the air bending, and in like one of the best sequences in the whole thing, she just air bends Amon straight like. <laughs> out the window <laughs> to the wall yeah straight out the window and everything i love where he like tries to blood better and she just like kicks and i'm just yeah. like that, that there's our girl there's core right there right. can't use your fists just kick just just kick <laughs> right. up yep the bar the barbarian and so like <laughs> she blasts him out of the window with a gust of wind and this i thought was very very clever again the whole sequence of cora getting chi blocked chi blood getting her bending taken away now i'm just yeah. gonna call it like chi blood bent <laughs> permanently blood bent and it and and 
and yeah, losing her powers and then getting the airbending to save Maka, which, by the way, also really good writing that she would do it to like to save somebody else. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And there's like there's the, the, the there is the spirit of the true Avatar. <laughs> And so, like, right. that coming out of her in that moment is great. That's like, there's Aang, there's everybody. When innocent lives are in danger, when you need to save somebody you love and care about, like Aang protecting Katara or anything, like, there's the Avatar spirit. And as you said, it would have been nice if maybe they'd engineered her getting airbending earlier in the series and have this be the moment that she got the Avatar, uh, you know, went to the Avatar state. state. But okay, yeah. it was still awesome. Because she beats him on, throws him out the window, and also awesome that he's like true, like he was blood bending the scar, like blood across his face to like, <laughs> like, like make himself appear scarred. And when it like washed off, flew off, whatever you want to say, that like he's revealed to be just a normal looking guy. And then he winds up in the water. And he's drowning and has to use his water bending to save himself, exposing himself in front of everybody. It's really cool. And then it's all downhill from there. <laughs> well, yeah. So I do love um, the, the the big reveal. Uh, I think it is very clever the way that they went about ultimately revealing Amon to the Equalist as a fraud um, by having him basically go into fight or flight mode when he gets knocked into the water, basically unconscious. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> I had that moment when he like comes out of the water in the giant, you know, water spout which is just like classic waterbending move. Um, and, you know, his he, he doesn't have the makeup on his face anymore. So he's just like, looks normal. And I had that moment of Squidward like, oh no, he's hot. <laughs> like, <laughs> which before we get into the rest of the finale, you know, where the, the real div- divisiveness is coming in, have you, I'm pretty sure that you have started the cave are you on board the uh, warship <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah I, I you know what um all the things we're criticizing about episode 12 here um i kind of feel like part way through that they should have just like engineered the cave fanfic into it <laughs> and just really make it divisive that would have been great and then give us like a bonus episode 13 because that's a long fanfic we can't put all that in one episode right. like come on now um <laughs> of course if it was nowadays it'd be like for the rest of the episode (laughs) subscribe to nickelodeon plus for exclusive content um (laughs) yeah the cave is uh very good yeah i'm up to chapter four it's uh it's uh it's uh it's a 10 out of 10 i don't i don't know i don't know why uh mike brian didn't just go with that (laughs) right no but in all seriousness like you know shipping aside and all that i actually prefer because again, this the cave fanfic that we talked about in the previous episode, um, highly recommended mm-hmm. for anybody that that reads fanfiction. But um, they have their own take on Amon's backstory, and it's nothing like the backstory that we're given in the right. show, um, because it the writing of the cave was happening before the show actually ended, before we found out what mm-hmm. you know the backstory actually was. So this is a completely new original backstory for Amon and I actually as much as I love his backstory here I actually kind of prefer the cave version because I think that it falls more in line with his beliefs and like you may not have gotten this far yet so but... do no do, do tell oh well basically so 
his story about being growing up on a farm, being a non-bender and having his parents killed by uh, firebenders is actually true. Like that's, I think that would have been a huge twist if like he actually was telling the truth. Um, and so, and basically the way that he's able to take people's bending in the cave is that he, he was nearly killed by this firebender. Um, he was basically left for dead and the spirits basically saved him and told him that like he was destined to, you know, basically bring balance to the world and end, you know, bending tyrants and all that fun stuff. And they gave, they granted him the ability to take people's bending away as a child. And so for mm -hmm. years he was like harboring that power and that resentment for benders and, and he grew up becoming, you know, basically a propaganda uh, leader for the equalist. And so like, and he actually is, like deformed not deformed but you know he's got the yeah. scar and everything from from his injuries from the firebender and so it's like yeah this actually does fall more in line with what i was thinking it was going to be um in terms of the story the actual story and so i was glad that i got in at least some form <laughs> in the fanfic but uh but yeah so um but anyway i, I don't know where i was going with this but it's really good you guys should read it um <laughs> it is it is really good and and you know what it does illuminate a point as as i've said and again i i don't mean to sound like i'm hating on the episode i just feel like it i feel like i feel a little bit like the writing is a little that they wrote themselves into a corner by writing so sure. many dramatic so many we've been, i've been saying over and over again that the bad guy or the good guys keep losing and losing and losing and like it's almost like they're like haha and now her bending gets taken away Oh, we only have we only have ten more minutes left in the episode. <laughs> right. Well, how are we gonna fix all this? We've destroyed the good guy fleet. We've kidnapped everybody. We've taken away a bunch of major characters bending. Uh, uh, I don't. Uh, what, what can we do? What can we do here? How are we gonna mm -hmm. fix this? Well, uh, she, I you got it. We did, Aang. She, yeah, two says and that's exactly where we wind up. Here we are. At the finale of the episode, and everyone is sad. And the only win they've gotten this entire time is that Amon's defeated. Oh, and he's not just defeated, he's off speeding away in a speedboat with his brother with his brother Tarlock. And I kind of something I to me the scene is like I feel really weird about the scene because oh, really? as I said, Tarlock is a great character. I think it's, as I, I was alluding to this earlier that I think it's superb in his character to like have him don the glove and like, again, almost pity out of pity for his brother. Cause he's like, this guy is never going to live a normal life. This man is mm -hmm. like out of his mind. He is, his humanity is gone. He has this like, Oh, we'll make the world better place together. We'll go oh, like, he's going to start the whole cycle all over again. Right. And so Tarlock ends it before it begins by like in a super dark moment, <laughs> just like uh, just, he just control all deletes them by pressing the glove to the fuel like fuel tank of the boat and kills them in an explosion yeah. and i'm like man that's dark but you know what else <laughs> i thought to myself when that happened i thought what? to myself well aman's op because this is where the show has put my mind at this point 
because I think the show has tried really hard to be really twisty, especially in the finale. Like, ha, twist, he actually has a scar on his face. Ha ha, mm-hmm. twist, it's not actually a scar. He's bloodbending <laughs> right. the scar. Ha ha, twist. Mako doesn't use the lightning he used exactly one minute ago to electrocute the water and kill him. No, he just shoots eight fireballs at him in the water. Good job, Mako. I see that your last two brain cells were gone from like that fight. I gotcha. The bloodbending just blood's gone out of your head i understand man that's what i mean about the good guys being stupid okay like and then he gets blown up so he gets blown up by his brother but then i'm like oh well aman's clearly not dead because now he actually is scarred from a fiery explosion and he's just gonna survive by using his blood bending to psychically keep all the blood in his own body so he doesn't bleed to death so he'll keep his own heart going with bloodbending. The man is immortal. He is a psychic bloodbender. You could Anakin Skywalker this guy and cut off his arms and legs, he'd still survive. Right. Because as long as he's awake and conscious, he can control his blood flow. The man can do anything. Yep. The man could be a brain floating around in the air. He'd yep. still be alive. <laughs> you can't kill him. No, but that actually... You've like... given, the writers, you've given this character too much power. I wish that that happened. I was hoping that they were going to somehow bring him back in a later season and reveal that he actually didn't didn't die in the explosion, but he did. Yep. Um, and, yep. And that but, made me mad because I knew he was dead. This wasn't a, you haven't seen the last of these characters, Todd, but yeah, no, he's dead. This is he, a very sad, tragic end. Um, but, uh, but no, to your point, he is... And I, I will fight anybody that says this, because the, if they say otherwise, they're wrong. Outside of the Avatar, and I would even say maybe even more so than the Avatar, Amon is the strongest bender in the entire Avatar universe, in both yep. Legend of Korra and, and Avatar. Like, this man is the OP king. Like, not only is he an incredibly skilled fighter without his bending, like, he's able to dodge attacks like crazy. Um, but then on top of that, you've got that he's an incredibly skilled waterbender just by itself. And then on top of that, he has his his father's ability to psychic bloodbend even better than Tarlock and Yukon could. And on top of that, you have that he can mm-hmm. actually take people's bending away, which literally no one but the Avatar can do. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and he They created an evil avatar. And then they write him away that he's blown up like he got killed in an episode of The Sopranos. And that's the part about the dying in the speedboat thing that feels weird tonally. I'm just like, oh, okay, this is an HBO show. We just literally have this super sad story of, like, two abused brothers, and he literally commits suicide by blowing up the gas tank of their speedboat. I'm like, okay, all right, sure. I love the scene personally, and this might be, I I don't think this is a hot take because nobody's probably thought of this, but personally, I would have ended the episode with that scene. I wouldn't have had the last scene be Korra restoring everyone's bending. That would have been the second to last. Because, like, I think that the way that the the scene with the Tarlock and Amon ends is just, like, the perfect melancholy, somber note to go out on. Because this has not been, like, like we said earlier, this has not been a fun show. Like, it's entertaining oh. and it's like super, you know, twisty and turny and dramatic, but it's not fun. 
So like ending on this happy high note, I'm like, no, that doesn't feel right. You should have put this as like a prologue because you're kind of like, well, what happened to Amon and Tarlock? Like, did they really just get away? And then that's the last thing you see is this this double, yeah. I was gonna say double homicide, but this homicide suicide. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I love the scene. I think that, you know, Tarlock- No, I, I think it's super well done. It's yeah. just weird tonally in the show. Like it, it, all, it almost feels out of place, like in the series. It's super well done. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's so weird for that to be the way it goes out. I'm like, oh, we're doing this in the show now. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize we crossed this line. Oh, just wait. I told you, man, the deaths in Legend of Korra oh, are yeah. hardcore. <laughs> Like, this is nothing compared yeah. to what's coming. Um, oh, but... speaking of what's coming, though. So, yeah. So, Korra winds up going back, and she is not able to get her, her bending healed. Mm-hmm. And uh, all she has is her air bending left. And I'll tell you, honestly, I would have been okay with that. <laughs> because knowing the rest of it's going, I would have been okay with them being like, well, now uh, you know you'll have to relearn the the elements because it'll be a long, hard fought battle. You'll have to undo what Amon did mm-hmm. and see the other members of Team Avatar come up to her side and put their hands on her shoulders and be like, "Don't worry, we're with you." And we have this sort of melancholy bad guys just killed themselves stare <laughs> off into the cold Arctic sunrise of the Water Tribe, and boom, the end. <gasps> Legend of Korra, the last Airbender. You know, like oh you God. know the only bender mm-hmm. but like okay like at least it would be like this weird kind of anticlimactic thing like you're saying cryptic and when eggs appears <laughs> Aang just appears mm-hmm. for no reason she's just crying and i i died in that moment i was like no no. Don't go this way. Mike and Brian, <laughs> don't, don't, go this, don't go this way. <laughs> you're, you're going down a path I can't follow. Yeah. And this is the part where it just gets ridiculous. Yep. This is... It just gets ridiculous. I have seen this show a million times, and I cannot really justify this, like, story-wise, or how this is actually even possible within the world of Avatar. Like, it, so anyway, continue. Tell us. Tell us yeah, what happens. Yeah. So 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 yeah. So the spirit of Aang appears and is like, an Avatar's power deserves more respect. <laughs> oh, sorry. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> wrong. Botched ending. Oh, um, Lord. But so yeah. So Aang appears and he's. <laughs> he's <laughs> I almost can't even get the words out. He says to her something to the effect of like. What, hold on what does he say to her he says he when says, we're at our lowest point what? yeah when we hit our lowest point we are open to the greatest change which is a great line but <laughs> it's a great line but what <laughs> yeah she's at her lowest point but she is not open to her greatest change yeah it's uh she she is head down i've lost she's not looking for a solution he just appears and he's like hey you want some avatar power that you neither know how to use nor have earned these last 12 episodes here you go kid and he just 
blesses her and all with the power of all the avatars behind him which granted is better than we got in rise of skywalker right. like it, at least the ghosts of of the powers past appear mm -hmm. he gives her with the avatar state and i was sitting there with my head in my hand just like like i was watching a horror movie with like one little hole between my fingers like looking at what i was seeing mm -hmm. as she rises with the avatar theme and all four elements blast out of her giant tidal wave and wowie zowie she has the power of the avatar mm -hmm. and it gives her the ability somehow to go and restore everyone's bending she has the ability to undo the, the, the she has the power of the eraser of the backspace key to backspace all the bad things that happened in the season why she might even be able to fix asami's self-esteem issue though i guess you can't do that yeah uh, uh, i so here are the many problems with this last you know five minutes of the episode five minutes the first problem is that it's five minutes it may not be that long, but basically the last portion of no, the episode. No, but the whole no, it is. But the whole point is that they like cram into the ending this fix for everything. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, <laughs> so, well, first of all, uh, before we even get to Aang showing up, this was something that I picked up on, and I'm glad that other people did too. And it's kind of really dark, but I don't know if you picked up on this either. But when Korra goes out by herself um, to the to the edge of the iceberg that she's on and she starts crying and the tear falls down over the cliff um, and then she obviously collapses and just cries on the edge. I kind of saw that as like, oh, my God, is she about to like fucking off herself? Yeah, because she because she, the tear falls off and it's kind of a sign of despair. Yes, she was 100% going to throw herself off the cliff. Well, but see, here's the thing. Here's why so many people believe that that's what it's like insinuating is because if she were to have done that, the next avatar would have been born. And so like she would have been, you know, kind of basically passing the torch in a way to whoever was the next avatar. Well, it would have been because well, well, it would have been like an admission of failure, a sort of an I'm not worthy to be the avatar. Right. Someone else do this because it's too much for me. Right, exactly. And it's like, holy shit, that's really dark. Um, especially after we just saw a murder-suicide. <laughs> like, damn. Yeah. Um, but uh, so, yeah, she's, she's super, super depressed about not having most of her bending. And then Aang appears. And again, I really like the line. It's actually a line that has stuck with me a lot and has helped me through some dark times of my own where like when we hit our greatest or our uh, lowest point, we're open to the greatest change, yeah. which is very true. Um, and so, you know, that line's great. And we see all the avatars of the past appear, Roku, Kyoshi, you know, um, everybody. And it's really cool. But then suddenly, Aang is able to restore Korra's bending. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> like, even right. I'm like, what is this? Okay, first of all, Aang is a spirit. He's like not there. Like, he's he's probably hallucination mm -hmm. from Korra. She's going crazy. Um, but how does us? Even if he is like an actual spirit there, like how Roku would appear to Aang, how does mm -hmm. a spirit of an avatar reverse the effects of a physical block? 
which is what the like that's right. how Amon was able to take people's bending. It wasn't a spiritual thing. It was a physical thing using blood bending and chi blocking. Um, so how does that work? <laughs> like there's no explanation. Um, and then, you know, and then on top of that, you know, Cora gets her avatar state moment and it's cool, but you're like, this doesn't feel earned because it isn't earned. I have literally <laughs> the ending is unearned underlined in my notes at the bottom. Like none of this is earned. We've watched her fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. And she hasn't learned anything new. Mm -hmm. She's learned like incidental lessons about like being patient and it's okay to be afraid. But she hasn't. Aang went through multiple episodes of like a spiritual journey to unlock the Avatar state in mm -hmm. season three in preparation for his fight with the Fire Lord and everything to get the Avatar state back. The right. man literally went on a spiritual pilgrimage to do this. And Korra just falls to her knees and cries real hard and just gets it. Yeah, not not great. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, again, I think that having her unlock her Avatar state... Um, you know, earlier with Mako, you know, about to have his bending taken, that would have made more sense because not only is she in a moment of peril for not only herself, but also for Mako, which is when the Avatar state comes out is when the Avatar is in danger. It's a defense mechanism, but also it would have been like a spiritual thing for her because she just lost her bending and she's now literally at her lowest point. And it, I, I don't know. Um, but so yeah, so she gets her bending it's, back. It's very, it's it's very weird. It, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, so, um, and then she, we go back to the rest of the group, you know, Tenzin and Katara and everybody, and she restores Lin Bei Fong's um, her her bending, and again, I'm like, what? Like, if you take, you can give it or take it away. <laughs> like what? We've never seen, um, you know, at least not an avatar. We've never seen that the avatar is able to bestow bending upon people. Like, and again, it seems it's framed as though it's like a spiritual thing because she goes into the avatar state when she does it. And like, I'm like, how, what, <laughs> what? Right. If um, anything, she's using blood bending to correct the chi blocking inside them, which is even weirder. Yeah, because she doesn't know how to block it, so, um, and thankfully she never learns how to, but, uh, yeah, so it's, it's just really, again, it reeks of, we gotta wrap this shit up, just like you said, we kind of painted ourselves into a corner, we don't have enough time to explain all this, or, like, earn any of this, so we're only getting 12 episodes, let's, let's go, <laughs> so, um, yeah, and again, you can really tell that in this first season that they they really did think this was going to be the end. They wanted it to end on a happy note, and that was going to be that. Which, if it was like that, it's like, yeah, that's kind of sloppy, but whatever. It's all we have. But now that we have three other seasons, it really stands yeah. out. <laughs> like, and, and sure, and it really does. You know, again, even without having seen the other three, like I said, I only have the context of this mm -hmm. to, to go on as far as like, Again, this could have this could have been it. Imagine if this was it. Yeah, uh, it's like wow, the show is good, but that ending though, not not great. 
no, not it really didn't stick the landing. It's like beautiful, beautiful routine there on like the parallel bars and everything, and then just a face plant on the <laughs> ground. Yikes. Yeah, it's I, I really I really feel like they could have they could have in hindsight of season one as I sort of am projecting as a writer like how they could have made this better. It really wouldn't have been that hard. I feel like they were focusing so hard on heightening the drama by constantly making the situation every episode was just like a challenge of like how can we make this worse for the heroes? How can we make this as bad as possible? How can we just lower them so much further? I feel like with the anticipation of, oh, but at the ending, it's going to be like such a huge win. It's going to be feel so good that Amon's defeated. Uh-huh. But I feel like they knocked the te- I, I feel like they knocked the teeth out of the lion that way, where at the end it didn't quite have the punch that it could have, mm-hmm. because they defeated Amon. And I get like there's conventionalities of like having your heroes, but let's like let's like like there's rules. You know what I mean? Like there's rules that, for example, like Spider Man can't smoke cigarettes. Like there's these all these things written down that you can't have your heroes do. Right. I get it. But like let's throw out the rules for a second. Why couldn't they have if they didn't kill Amon, have Amon die? Like I don't and, and the scene with Tarlock is fine and everything, but it makes his defeat not be at the hands of the heroes. Mm-hmm. The reason he's not a threat anymore is not because of the heroes. He could come back without the 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 anti-bending revolution and murder all of them in their sleep mm-hmm. like they didn't actually defeat him they just defeated the revolution right he could still the man could kill everybody in the world single-handedly he's a killing machine like you said he's way overpowered but like they, they could have started doling out some wins for the heroes much earlier in the series have them do things that give them some triumph along the way some ways of actually striking back against Amon and making some ground back without every single episode being like a lower and lower and lower and lower and things are just getting more and more and more dire for them like Mm -hmm. you know bad stuff can still happen but like we need some wins here folks and you know and like you said in the final episode oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say i was actually thinking about that when we talked about that i think it was the last podcast um and i think i figured out why the structure of legend of Korra, like why it feels that way that it's like it's just constant direness and there's hardly any wins for our heroes and it's because it is an um what's it called a serialized show whereas avatar was mostly episodic so you would have your individual episodes your you know village of the week your villain of the week whatever and you would get your own little, you know, mini victories within those individual episodes. Uh, and sometimes you wouldn't, sometimes they would end on a bad note, but most of the time you would. And so like with Korra, because it is a, and I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. You know, I, I like the serialized uh, format of Legend of Korra personally, but I can see why going from episodic to serialize can be very jarring in terms of the tone because you gotta you have to keep it consistent you know what i mean like as fun as it yeah. would be to have like an ember island players episode in legend of gora um it just wouldn't fit especially in this first season where it's much more dark it's a noir type you know mystery kind of well and especially because right from literally like the second or third episode like the third episode of the series the stakes go from like are we gonna win the pro bending tournament to like 
are all benders going to die? And mm -hmm. it's like, oh man, <laughs> things went from like zero to a hundred really fast. So it's really hard mm -hmm. to put frivolous, like small victory wins when you establish so early that the stakes are like end of the world high. Right. And I think that um, personally for me, I'm not going to say this about season two because season two, oh boy. Uh, but I think that in season three and four, um, which are, in my opinion, the best seasons of Legend of Korra, they mm -hmm. balance out the tone and it has a bit more of an episodic feel, honestly. Like, I think that they kind of okay. strike the nice balance between serialized and episodic in season three and four um, to where we can have episodes where it's just chilling with the characters instead of having just constant mm -hmm. barrage of like awful things happening all the time <laughs> like um well, pro well and i haven't even seen them yet but i can imagine that when it gets renewed for and i don't know if they greenlit like one season at a time or mm -hmm. if they were like yeah you get three more seasons or yeah you get two more seasons right. they probably it had a little more breathing room we're like okay whew, we can relax and like take our right. time developing things whereas they're trying to cram this like story that's worthy of the mantle of being part of the avatar universe it's a 12 episodes right. which is a lot of pressure exactly. especially considering that like the original avatar its seasons were 20 episodes right mm -hmm. yeah 20 to 21 episodes yeah. so they had a lot less like room for it so again i feel it's important that we acknowledge as writers the two of us acknowledge the like the missteps and like the the, the just, just mistakes like things that could have been done better mm -hmm. but also acknowledge that what they were trying to do that like could have caused them to trip up here and there legend of core is still great it's it's still a really really good show so far and i'm really looking forward to season two and beyond <laughs> um but it uh what am i in for with season two just like Oh give me a preview God. i'm gonna watch the trailer but just let me know just let me know are we looking forward to razzing or should we be should we yeah no this is <laughs> okay. basically what we've just done for season two, or not season 12 but uh episode 12 is gonna be damn near the entire season where you're just like what's happening why are they doing this like it's i don't know it, people talk about um uh, a gas leak season for I think it was oh god what was the name of the show shoot I'm forgetting it wasn't Arrested Development but anyway uh, Community Community yes um, there uh -huh. is a season I think it's season four of Community I've never watched the show but I've heard that season mm. four is called the gas leak season because it is so out of character so poorly written compared to the what came before it and then they kind of forget about it and the next seasons following were actually good again and it's just like what happened this year like this season and that's exactly what happened with legend of korra like it is the gas leak season season two <laughs> like, oh my gosh we're well gonna have so at least much we fun. know <laughs> at least we know tonally what's what to prepare ourselves for so um but as far as oh well real quick mm. i'll show you we'll I'll, you know, I'll send you the link to the trailer because I want to see your reaction to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because the trailer actually makes it look really good. Like, it's actually my favorite <laughs> Legend of Korra trailer, which is why it was so oh, sad that I'm like, no, it's, why? It's, it's, it's like, it's like watching the Rise of Skywalker trailers. <laughs> no. Um, but anyway, continue. <laughs> Um, no, I was just going to say, though, like, before we start looking too far ahead um, into what's uh, what's going on for season two, uh, we don't want to neglect to rate the episode. No. Um, 
uh, it's really difficult to rate the finale because the finale has some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, I feel like the finale really was uh, a whiff. I feel like they kind of tripped over their own feet at the end. And like I said before, you can have great 10 out of 10 moments in an episode, but like it really felt like from the start, like they were kind of stumbling. And then the end, they just really fell flat on their face. Great scene with like Korra being confronted with Amon. I don't mean to put like the overall like criticism of the whole season on the last episode, but the last mm-hmm. episode is your chance to redeem stuff. You know right. what I mean? It's your chance to come back swinging. And they just like, eh. Um, I don't know. I feel divided on how to do it, but I really have to go by like how much I overall enjoyed the episode. And thinking of how I've rated other Avatar ep- ep- episodes, other Legend of Korra episodes before this one, man, <laughs> like I got a dock points for bad writing and like just this really really goofy end to the whole thing. Uh, I'm gonna give this. A six point eight out of ten. Honestly, that was better than I thought you were gonna give it. I thought you were gonna go like five point five. Well, no, no, no. And see, and that's the thing. Like the good content is like a good solid. Like you know, it's ten minutes of the show is good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just like some goofy stuff in the middle of it, and then a really weird wrap up, badly done. But like, yeah, sure, six point eight. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go a little higher than that. I think that I would go seven point five. This is for sure not my favorite episode um, of the first season, but it's also not my least favorite either. Um, and so, you know, I love basically everything with Amon from the confrontation with him, with uh, Mako and Cora, mm-hmm. to the final scene with him and Tarlock in the boat. Like all the stuff surrounding Amon is great. It's all the other stuff that I'm just like, you need to explain this. This felt very rushed, very unearned. Um and it just comes across as like disingenuous, like, like, again, it's not earned. So um, I am glad to see that like the endings to the other seasons are not afraid to be left open-ended, um, that they're mm-hmm. not, that the seasons, they flow into each other much better than season one flows into the, into the other seasons because mm-hmm. season one feels so isolated compared to the other three seasons. So um right. But uh, overall, I think that I would yeah give this a 7.5. It's not terrible. I don't hate it as much as a lot of people do, just because I think that the highs are very high. Um, but yeah. I definitely understand where people are coming from when they say this is like a bad episode. <laughs> I don't think it is, but I get it. <laughs> it's not a bad episode. It's just a bad ending. And you yeah. want you always want your season finales to really stick the landing. Right. You know, um, again, especially because people at the time you were there i wasn't there didn't know if there was going to be anything after this it's just like oh okay all right well that was a quick wrap-up well that's end that's the end of cora i guess good good story gg um but yeah no but fortunately there are more seasons mm-hmm. even if we have to go through season two to get to them <laughs> oh boy i'm so excited honestly you're gonna have so much fun tearing apart season two <laughs> Because honestly, and I feel like for our audience, we want to set things right. Like we, you know, I came in completely blind into what to expect from Cora. I didn't really expect to be razzing the finale of season one as much as I have been. But hey, you know what? Here <laughs> when we are. Life hands you lemons. Right. And life hands you blood. Bend it. Um, but, <laughs> but but like 
I, yeah, that really is what we're in store for then. So we will be starting uh, season two in our next episode, and we're gonna be we're gonna be seeing how much fun we can have with uh, <laughs> with Legend of Korra from uh, from here forward until things until the ship is righted. Yes, <laughs> so, so excited. <laughs> yeah, so stay tuned. We'll uh, we'll make the best of it. <laughs> That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff.